G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 62. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Farnoosh Brock and Farnoosh is the founder and president of Prolific Living, a company she started in 2011 after a long corporate career at a Fortune 100 company. She quit her job when she realized that she had a a talent to express herself through coaching, speaking, writing and training and she's written four published books. She also has a great set of skills around career advancement, mindset and self-empowerment. And these are some of the things we're going to talk about today and how we can apply some of these skills to our intermittent fasting journeys. So here, without any further ado, is Farnoosh Brock. Oh, g'day, Farnoosh, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Graham. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm a big fan of yours and I've been following you on Instagram and Prolific Living and I think you're a very inspirational person and thank you so much for being here. We're going to talk a lot about mindset today because I know that's something that you're very experienced with. But Farnoosh, for those people that don't know you out there, maybe we could just talk a bit about your backstory, about yourself and also how you got to fasting and why you started fasting. Absolutely. So I am from Iran. I live in the US on the East Coast and I am married and um, I run my own business. I worked in the corporate world for a long time, but then I quit 10 years ago, actually. My husband and I work for ourselves. And um, I, um, uh, I came across fasting actually in 2019, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I was doing the dirty fasting and it was really, really hard. And um, I remember getting so very hungry by 10 a.m. And um, then eating like I haven't eaten for days. And uh, and I didn't know what I was doing, like I said. And it was just something that a friend of ours had tried because he had, he had um, uh, reversed his diabetes, which I thought was fascinating. And I know you hear stories like that all the time. But um, I did it for a few weeks. I let it go. But then 2020, with the pandemic, with our lives getting upended, um, I started to go even deeper into how else can I improve the way I live, work, and play. You know, I'm constantly doing that. And also how to keep myself sane while we are in this uh, massive, uh, long isolation here in the U.S. I know you're not that affected in Australia, and I'm really happy about that. But in the U.S., it's been uh, challenging. And I started to step into the fasting communities 
um, on Facebook. And then I read Jen Stevens' book, and uh, Delay Don't Deny, the first one. And I started to get interested again in fasting. Um, and I will tell you that I have never had any major health issues, thankfully, and I have never been overweight by the standards that, you know, the, the you know, the nutritional standards, but I had just been um, unhappy in my own body. You know, I had been um, just feeling like I'm not at my best, that there could be something I could do to feel better. And the things that used to work for me in my 30s and my 20s completely stopped working in my 40s. <laughs> And I kept pushing and pushing and they still didn't work. You know, you would have moderate success and I can get into what I was doing, but nothing, uh, nothing that really helped me to sustain it. Um, so um, I started to get curious for weeks. I didn't do anything. I was just curious about fasting and about all these success stories on the Facebook communities. And I started to wonder if maybe I can do it again. And that's when I learned about clean fasting. And of course, I put up a fight. I'm like, well, you know, a little lemon in my water can't really affect it. And, you know, the usual stories you tell yourself. But I decided to give it a try. And this was July 2020, July 11, 2020. And today is day 274 that I have fasted every single day, clean fasted, religiously, and it has changed my life. And I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, I think that's great. Really touch on that clean fasting there and the difference it made from that dirty fasting. And just tell us yes. some of those differences that you noticed when you started doing that and then lead into maybe a bit about your fasting, how you started, what was your protocol and how you got sure. going with it. Sure. So the dirty fasting, um, I was drinking my Earl Grey tea, which had vanilla and bergamot flavors, no calories, but flavors. And I believe that was what kicking my insulin into action and uh, making it impossible to even hit 16 hours or 15 hours even. And when I decided to do the clean fasting, at first, I went very easy on myself. I started with 14 hours. And um, I felt, you know, at first, it's still unusual, but I felt, oops, sorry, wardrobe malfunction. So I felt, okay, this is, um, this is not too bad. And I kept going a little bit further each day. And I realized the hunger comes in for a few minutes, but then goes away. I started drinking plain water, my plain sparkling water, and I was able to manage the hunger. And it taught me the first thing that has been, uh, you know, transformational for me in my relationship with food, that hunger isn't an emergency. And we know this, and you talk about this, Graham, but it's one thing to come to this realization in your mind, it's another to translate it into your body and change your habits so you respond differently to the hunger when it kicks in, as opposed to, you know, the way you used to respond for decades, you are hungry, you eat. And so that, combined with the fact that the hunger would come and pass, gave me more courage, gave me more confidence to go a little longer every day. And I wanted to feel safe and not anxious and overwhelmed because I wanted to do it right. So every week I would add a half hour, 
and an hour. And so today I fast on average 20.5 hours a day, 3.5 hours of eating. And I know this because I track it on a spreadsheet. Um, so um, I've built up to that and it is easy and manageable. So that is my fasting protocol today. Um, I also fast 24 hours a day once a month just because I like to do a little bit of a longer fast. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I guess you come from a base that you've always been quite healthy, so you're probably quite a healthy eater. Did that change much or did your taste change or appetite correct or anything with fasting? You know, it's interesting. So yes, a lot of things changed. So I found that my um, dairy intolerance went away. So the only thing I can attribute it to is fasting in that I used to not be able to eat cheeses, which I love cheeses, and yogurt. And in my Iranian culture, you grow up on eating plain yogurt. And for years, I had had dairy intolerance. However, with the fasting, maybe with the shorter window, I realized that I, I started eating goat cheese, no problems. I started eating uh, Gruyere, some other cheeses, and recently yogurt. And I am finding that I have no reactions whatsoever, which is thrilling. I found that I now have zero tolerance for processed sugar. And you're right, Graham, I have been pretty healthy, but I would still have the occasional processed sugar treat. And, you know, it would give me some discomfort, but I could manage it. For some reason, with months of fasting, I really have to be careful. And I am practically at zero processed sugar unless a very special occasion comes up. And that's because of the way it makes me feel. So perhaps that is one example of appetite correction. And I will add this. I started drinking coffee. So I used to drink coffee 10, 15 years ago. I quit. I've just been a tea person. But I read about how they, um, there's a lot of coffee drinking. And I think coffee drinkers are very cool. And my husband is a coffee snob. So I started drinking black coffee. And because of that, this is my conclusion, I cannot drink my Earl Grey anymore because it tastes very sweet. So those are some of the changes that I find fascinating and um, fun. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. And I think we do naturally gravitate towards those high quality foods. You talked about processed sugar there. And as you know, I was yes. a sugar addict and we have a lot of sugar addicts in our group and that sort of thing. And people that have a real struggle with that and to get down to that zero tolerance with processed sugar is quite remarkable. And and let's just have a, a, a bit of a conversation about that, about the sugar and how you sort of got to that point and what sort of tips or strategies you could give to people that are struggling with sugar out there. You know... You talk about this, Graham. I've listened to every episode you've recorded, and thank you for all the work you're doing here because it's fabulous. But I think the best way, and this is maybe us stepping into the mindset conversation, the best way to think about it is once you get a little bit of the fasting muscle developed, right, you're, you make a habit of it, paying attention to the foods that make you feel your best. And by that, we mean you feel satisfied, but you don't feel like you need to go lie down or that you're not feeling great. And I think paying attention to that and then realizing how feeling good allows you to do everything else better. You can work 
with more clarity and focus, you have more energy, you can move your body more easily without discomfort. And I find over time that becomes a priority. And once you experience that, then you realize the processed sugar is just not worth it. The, the, the benefits don't outweigh the, um, uh, you know, the, the momentary delight in your mouth, so to speak. And because you become more in tune with your body and how you feel, um, once you pay more attention, it becomes more of an obvious choice. Um, I think that, you know, finding ways to have a treat that is healthier and still gives you that sweet taste. Um, I, we can talk about food, uh, you know, um, if you like, and there's so many options and changing that habit because you still want maybe dessert or you want to partake in celebrations. But if you can find something that gives you the least intolerance or discomfort from the processed sugar, but still helps you have the sugar, uh, sugary treat, if you will, um, that can be a transition point, a, a way to help you shift those habits and realize that you can be just as satisfied with a date and something combined with that, right? That's my favorite, uh, favorite uh, dessert right now, as you would before maybe it was a piece of chocolate cake and you still feel great after a healthier, sweet yeah, it does. And um, who you things like avocado would make a nice snack. And, you know, when I was a sugar addict, or fast food addict, I never ate avocado. And, and now I do eat avocado and I love it. And it's just something that you can have with some salad or whatever. And, and there is an alternative, yep. isn't there, Farnoosh? You don't have to have that high ultra processed food and sugar all the time. And, and there's so many great alternatives out there that people can find. And, and well, let's move into the mindset side of things now sure. i know that's a real strength of yours and expertise in your profession that you do so just give us a bit of a rundown about how you help people with that and we'll talk about the mindset of fasting and what's required by people when they move into it i mean a lot of people will pick up a book um and they'll read it and they'll say okay i'm going to do that but the mental part has to be right when they start just give us some tips and some ideas around that and run us through what is mindset why it's so important, and how people can make some strategies in their life to make some changes. Great. So I define mindset as your lens on a particular subject matter, your perspective, the way you look at it, which is your way of looking at it. Somebody else could look at the same subject matter and look at it differently. And my expertise in my work comes with helping people have a healthy mindset that serves them and their goals in life, um, in their careers, professions, business, and particularly around um, selling. Because, you know, I am not really, um, I'm very turned off by selling in a business. And so I teach people how to come from a perspective of serving powerfully and achieving their business goals. And so what we're talking about is questioning your beliefs and wondering whether you have some limiting beliefs, beliefs that are limiting your possibilities, and bringing those into an inquiry. Is it really true that I need to do this in order to achieve this goal? 
You have believed it to be true, so you always do it a certain way. Is there another way? And is it possible? The other way can help you feel better, be more aligned with your values, be more aligned with the way you want to treat others, and still achieve your goals. And so there, there is this, you need to have a curiosity. You need to have a desire to be curious about the way you think about things. Like, I think that has to happen first, because if you're closed to any other ways of thinking, then we can't even have this conversation, right? And I, I was right there, you know, closed to thinking about my life a certain way, my career a certain way. And, and you know, as I started to question what else is possible for me, I was able to quit my corporate job. I was able to hire my husband. I was able to build a, a business that I couldn't have imagined imagined with the old belief system. It doesn't mean there wasn't work involved. It simply means that we have to start with the way we think about a subject matter. And looking at fasting, I didn't believe. I am the type of person who can go 20 hours without eating. I just found it to be really ridiculous. (laughs) And you know, that shows you just how much we limit ourselves by the way we think. And if we can just be curious, and you can be curious and explore your mindset about a subject matter, and by the end of that exploration, you may arrive at the same conclusion. You may still decide, you know, my beliefs are still something I want to choose to hold on to, or you may learn something new about yourself. So I think it's really important to maybe ask yourself, how am I thinking about my body, my identity, what's possible for me at this stage of my life. And I find, unfortunately, so many, many of us, because of the limiting beliefs and the stories we tell ourselves through no fault of our own, right? There is conditioning that goes on in our lives. We never even reach half of our potential in life. And we, um, you know, we're frustrated. We know something is wrong and it could be better, but we don't know what. And I find that a lot of us just think so small for ourselves. And so I would say to just bring it together and then um, see where you want to take this, Graham. Ask yourself, how am I thinking about blank? Whatever is the subject of interest for you. We're talking about fasting right now. How am I thinking about intermittent fasting as it involves me? And are those thoughts serving me? Are they really true? Can I be absolutely sure that those are true? And normally by this point, you're like, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me see. Let me find out. Let me experiment, which then opens you to the curiosity. And it's the first step to do the next big thing and take a plunge. Maybe you fast for a week and realize, you know what? It is possible for you. And then you take the future steps. But the mindset has to be there first for us to take that first step. And I believe the mode you want to find yourself in is being curious and open to inquiry and to figuring out how are you thinking about things. And I can suggest some tools to help you actually process that. Um, Journaling is a great way. You know, I give my clients journaling assignments with a prompt. The prompt is the question you ask yourself. So as I shared earlier, you know, how am I thinking about intermittent fasting? 
that is your prompt. And then you answer that question. Well, I think it's really hard. Is that really true? I don't know. And so you have this dialogue and you write it out and it helps you it helps you figure out where you are limiting yourself or stopping yourself. And that's great because then you can be open to maybe doing something about that. And that's, you know, sort of like the process. And I think that's fantastic insight. The mindset's so important as we know. And, and I think with people that are overweight or they're obese, they're the masters of procrastination, as I wrote in my book. Yes. Because we spend our whole life saying, I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start next month. I'm going to start after Christmas. I'm going to start tomorrow. Yeah. And we always give us a reason why we're not starting right now. So I think right. once you make that decision to take your health back, you've got to start that instant, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And that's where the mindset firstly kicks in. And like you said, you've got to have that why. And you've also got to have that reasoning and writing that down and journaling and asking yourself those questions. And I think self-examination right. is so important, Farnoosh, where you actually sit down and write these things down. Why am I obese? Why can't I control this? What, what is it? I know obesity is a disease. How am I going to treat this disease? What am I going to do? And then when you right. start your fasting, ask yourself the question, can I go without food all day? Well, there's only one way to find out, and that's to start. How am I going to deal with the hunger? Because the first thing that comes to people's mind is the hunger. And that's a mindset shift too, because we know that there's two types of hunger. Farnoosh, you've heard me talk about this. There's yes. that head mm -hmm. hunger, and then there's that belly hunger. And I mean, obviously, somebody with your experience and health and everything else, you would be able to talk a bit about those two things, because that it's really important to listen to your body when you get to that point of hunger where it's not yes. just head hunger, it may be something else. Can you just tell us something about that? Yes. So, and I've heard you talk about that as well. I used to have a lot of emotional eating. And sometimes I would know I'm eating because I'm emotional, whether I am on a high, happy emotion or I'm a low, sad emotion. And and I find that's one of the head hungers that, that you might be referring to. Um, I just call it emotional hunger. And so I think it's important to become aware of your tendencies and behavior. And with fasting, I said earlier, hunger isn't an emergency, but we're going to define it a little further. If you are hungry for two hours and it's not going away and you're feeling pretty calm, you're not necessarily on an emotional roller coaster or nothing particular is, you know, happening, then that is true hunger. And yes, you want to respond to that. Um, I like to drink some water and maybe have some, some tea. If it doesn't go away, I reevaluate. But um, I believe that we have different tendencies that um, drive us to food. I have heard some of your guests talk about various issues they deal with, a lot of emotional issues, a lot of ways to hide from society, from, from work, from, you know, whatever it is that we're hiding from behind food. And again, I think, I think a big part of this, a big part of this for me with intermittent fasting has, it has uncovered another layer of getting to know myself better. 
you know, and I've done a lot of work, a lot of inner work over the last 10 years since I started my business to get to know myself. What are my blind spots? What are things I don't even know I'm doing that are not serving me? And this is yet another layer that helps me fine tune the things that I do that are so natural. I don't even think about it. But when I stop to observe, I realize I'm just eating because I'm excited, because I'm bored, because I am in between calls, because I want to chew. Just chewing itself is something we enjoy doing. And so you're going to learn so much about yourself just by going through the intermittent fasting process that I think that alone is so rewarding. So, but I wanted to add one more thing to the mindset, if I may, Graham. So you talked about making a decision. You talked about how, you know, we procrastinate. We all do, yes. But once you arrive at a definite decision that I'm going to do this, you know that defining moment. It's like a decision to marry someone, a decision to buy a house, a decision to get on that plane at 10 a.m. to travel to your destination. That's a decision. And I think if you're still in the mode of, I'm going to try it, I'm going to see how it goes, I think I'm going to do it. If you listen to the words you're using, that is not yet a decision. And to serve yourself, you need to make it a non-negotiable decision. It is not up for negotiation. So you need to make it so that it's palatable. You want to say maybe, I'm going to start intermittent fasting and commit for one week or one day. But that decision, when you make it a non-negotiable, it's not up for negotiation, then all of a sudden, everything about the process becomes simple, clear, and I dare say, easy. You've just got to work around it, how you're going to get through what you sort of decided you were going to do and stick with it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you say to yourself, I'm going to fast today for 20 hours, I'm going to give it three days. So you've got to give it that three days because mm-hmm. unless you give it that three days, really you're doing yourself a disservice. And then once you've done that three days and you think, yeah, that wasn't too bad, I can do that, then maybe give it another few days and then say to yourself, well, I'm going to stick with this for three months and so on and so on. And I think it really is important to make those steps. And quite often we get people, they get into fasting and they they find the fasting relatively okay. And a lot of people know about the clean fast now because there's so much information out there. There's podcasts like this, there's books that Jin's written, myself and whatever. But we know that the clean fast is important and why it's important. We want to keep that insulin low through that process, give our organs a break, let our cells mm-hmm. regenerate, and just push back in the day when we're eating. Because the, the thing about mindset with fasting for me is that when I talk to people, I say to them, well, everybody in this room is fasting. Because when you sleep at night for a period of eight or nine hours, you're you're in a fasted state. You're You're fasting. You're not eating. You're not up spiking your insulin you're asleep and then you wake in the morning you get up and you have what's called breakfast which is spelt break fast funny enough so when you get people that are negative and that sort of thing in your life about your fasting protocol and i wanted to talk about this because that can really shake some people yeah. up they start intermittent fasting and they might sort of tell a few people about it at work or their family and they get stuck into them and say this is unhealthy this is not good for you And it really affects Mm -hmm. their mindset and they start thinking, well, it must be unhealthy. All these people are telling me this. 
So how, Fanoush, can you help people deal with that, that, that negative aspect in their life? How can they push through that? Sure. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great point because, you know, if you are, you're surrounded by people in your life and if you rely on feedback and opinion and validation and approval, naturally you will be affected. Um, I think that at the beginning, you want to protect the fasting. It's like I tell people when they're first starting a business, protect the business dream. Don't share it wildly. Tell maybe one person that you trust so they can be supportive to you, but otherwise protect it so that you can get your head around it because you are going to educate yourself along the way. You're going to experience the fasting in your own body, which is going to be your experience, and that should be the decision-making factor for you. And until you have that you may be very much persuadable in different directions because you don't know any better. And until that point, I would say protected. Um, share it with one person in your life. I really think if your life partner is not on board, do whatever you can. Come to some sort of agreement so that you have some level of support at home because it makes it easier. It's possible to do it without their support, but it makes it easier. I know that when I was starting the fasting, my husband was, eh, I don't know about this because of my 2019 experience. And I put a lot of stock in his opinion, but he had to get on board. But then I was going for my physical and I adore my GP. If he says jump, I'm jumping. This guy has been the doctor in my life. And I was thinking to myself, Graham, what if he says, don't do the fasting? What am I going to do? I love Dr. Bloom and I love fasting. And I knew I'm going to choose fasting. <laughs> That's how much I knew it was right for me because I had experienced it in my body. At that point, I believe two months. So I would say, don't feel the need to announce what you're doing. You know how to get around it. Nobody will really notice. Maybe at a family gathering, you have to move things around your window or, I don't know, make some excuses. But when you announce it, be sure you know where you stand on the subject. We welcome other people's feedback. We can have an intelligent conversation. We can be polite about their perspective, but... When you find that grounding and confidence in yourself that says, I know what I'm doing and it feels right and it is right for me, then you're not going to be as malleable to this criticism and feedback. You might even find it amusing and you might choose to educate others. You might not, I don't know, but you won't be as affected. So in summary, experience it in your body Get yourself clear on where you stand on the fasting issue before you open it to public and entertain those conversations. Yeah, I think that's correct. The other thing I say to people is let your results do the talking. I mean, you right. don't have to announce it to the world. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about mindset-wise, which I think you can be very helpful, is um, nearly every Monday, Farnoosh, I get people contacting me and saying, oh, you know, I overdid it on the weekend. I ate too much. I've done this. I've done that. I've ruined everything. And now I have yeah. to do a big, long fast. And I say, well, you don't have to do that. Just get your mindset right. And this is where we have to use that mindset, don't we? Not to beat ourselves up in self-punishment. Yes. 
And so you can just tell yes. people why that's important not to do that. Yes. Well, we talk about intermittent fasting being a lifestyle. Like you really, really, really define that for yourself. And a lifestyle has celebrations, has moments of people coming together. Not as much around here lately, but hopefully those times are returning. But you know, there are times where we need to be flexible. And so you need to decide what is your position on that on that side if you want it to be a lifestyle and you want to partake in the social events and partake in the celebrations then do that and understand that there will be possibly you know a little bit of you know um like you see on monday morning maybe a little bit of extra weight because um i don't know from just water retention what have you but it's not uh, permanent but then also Find a place where you are okay with the celebration. Find a, um, you know, I find, for instance, I can't let go altogether. Like, I cannot have two pieces of cake and um, enjoy more dessert um, at the family celebrations and feel okay. I don't feel that is a part of my life that's returning. And I'm fine with that. So I have changed the habit I used to have in the way I go to the same celebration and I'm fine with that. So if you find that your body is telling you Monday morning and Tuesday that you're like, oh my God, I really overdid it. Instead of beating yourself up, decide how you will behave at the next celebration. Maybe you have one glass of wine and you still celebrate, but you find a balance point where you don't have to uh, recuperate so much on the body. I would not worry about the weight because we know when we are fasting, there are some times that the weight fluctuates. So that is something that I have made peace with, even though I weigh daily and I document it daily, but that's just something that I like to do to track. It doesn't give me the emotional feedback. So understand that. But the bigger thing is, again, if you're still used to celebrating in the way you used to celebrate and you realize now that you're more in tune with your body, you know, I don't feel so good Monday and Tuesday, maybe rethink how you partake in those celebrations and are those habits still serving you? Because yes, you can eat whatever you want, you can drink whatever you want in your window. And I know you talk about this, Graham, but again, is that choice truly serving you? Is it making you feel good? Is it worth the consequences in the coming week? And if the answer is yes, then keep doing that. But if the answer is, you know, I don't know, experiment with shifting your habit around. Still enjoy the occasion, but realize that perhaps you can even enjoy it with half a glass of wine or no wine at all. Um, so those are some of my thoughts in helping you think through that. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, it is very helpful. Thank you. And I think it's also yeah. where you have to decide what's holding you back mm -hmm. if things aren't working. You have to go into a deep dive into self-examination. Okay, I'm not losing any weight. Nothing's happening. I'm not losing any inches. My clothes aren't feeling any better. What's happening here? Okay, first place to look, the fast. Are you clean fasting strictly? Are you really clean fasting? Oh, no, well, actually, I... I have cream in my coffee. Bingo. Okay. There's your first problem. Okay. Let's look at the window. What's happening there? How long is your window? Four hours. Okay. How long do you eat for? 
oh, well, four hours. My window's four hours. No, you don't eat for four hours because your window's four hours. You eat to, you get to that satisfied, nicely full point, not stuffed to the point where you have to go and lie down on the couch and undo your pants Mm -hmm. and just keep eating because you've got another hour to go, yet you're still full. And I think that's where people, when they are due to intermittent fasting, Farnoosh, they find that, but I've got a four-hour window. And then there's that message out there, you can eat whatever you want with intermittent fasting. Okay. And I think that's the most misunderstood message of all with intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting as far as mindset goes. Because, yes, you can probably continue on with your regular diet if you're only eating once a day, that sort of thing. That's fine. But if it's not working for you, then what's in that window that's not working for you? Are you still eating a lot of high-processed foods? Are you still eating a lot of sugar? Are you still overeating? Are you not just eating to that nicely satisfied and full point? So these are things that we've got to self-examine, don't we, Farnoosh? We need to run through the steps. Like We need to go through a process of self-examination and home truths. And when you have home yes. truths in your life, and you write them down as you alluded to before, you start being able to work through. Is it the fact that I'm having three glasses of wine in my window or four beers? Is that the issue? Is it the issue that I'm eating too much high processed ultra foods or too much sugar? Is that the issue? Maybe I'll just try delaying that for a little while. And for some people, it's almost like they think, well, I'm defeating the purpose because I want to eat whatever I want. But when you flip that mindset to eating whatever makes your body feel its greatest, as you've said there, and I really strongly believe in that, when you're eating something that really makes you feel the greatest, that that switch flips for you. And then you start thinking to yourself, I don't need those foods in my life. Or maybe I'll delay alcohol for a while. And I still have a couple of beers now and again, but I don't drink as much as I used to. And that's the point. And that's where we can make that change, can't we? Right. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, our attachment to food, our relationship with food evolves in the fasting. It's inevitable. And it's one of the best benefits for me. I felt deprived if I felt I thought I would feel deprived if I did the fasting gram and I don't like that feeling that I can't have something I feel like you know I've earned it I've worked hard I want to eat whatever I want but it's the opposite your relationship with food changes and you may think you want to eat everything as you did before I think your body will send you different cues you want to listen to that and you want to be very clear on your goals if your goal is to still have three glasses of wine a week I don't know I don't know why I keep going back to wine I don't drink a drop of alcohol (laughs) Um, but but you know if if your goal is to celebrate with your friends and feel free in that celebration that is your goal but I think you will find your goals will evolve because you will realize you are capable of so much more that your possibilities will expand you may take up a new sport you may start dancing exercising with the more energy you don't even know what you're going to be doing so as your goals evolve you want to prepare and nourish your body to be able to achieve those goals and your preferences will shift so I think the best the best recommendation, the best encouragement I can give you is to be open 
to that evolution, to not think that, oh, I have to have this, or I have to eat this, or this is always my dessert, and this has always been my two glasses of wine. Be open to all of that shifting and you still being happy with the food and drinks that you're consuming because um, it's, um, you know, your body responds differently and you're going to find satisfaction in different foods because, again, your body will change, your goals will change. So be very clear on your goals and keep them front and center because that's why you're doing this, to get a new version of yourself. And I always tell people one of the big switches for me as far as mindset went Mm -hmm. was the way you think about yourself and what we call self-love. And (laughs) by loving yourself first, I'm not talking about an egotistical way. I'm talking about a way that you start thinking more positively about yourself, about the way you look, about the way you feel, about the way you think, about the way you interact with others. Just loving yourself first, putting yourself first. Because a lot of people out there, they're very, they pour love everywhere all over the place and they don't leave any for themselves. And that's where sometimes your health gets overlooked and it goes a bit haywire. You put on a lot of weight because you're so busy looking after everybody else in your life that you forget about yourself. So with this journey, intermittent fasting, I believe you've got to put yourself first and you've got to self-love. And you've got to look into that. So how can we teach people to think more positively about themselves and find that self-love for themselves, Fanoush? Well, I think that you realize the big irony here. And the big irony is if you don't take care of yourself, sooner or later, you are not able to take care of your loved ones. Not in the way that you envision, because your health will suffer And it's just a math equation. It's perfectly logical. So if you really, really think about how taking care of yourself isn't selfish, it is necessary so that you can be the best version of yourself for people in your life, then you see it just as important, just as important as taking care of your family, just as important as taking care of whoever your time and energy goes to, you are in that equation. You are not outside of it. When you put yourself outside of it, everybody suffers. You do not serve others. You're not being selfless. You're actually, you know, causing problems that can be avoided. So what needs to happen for you to see that, to see that you are worthy of the attention and the energy and the focus on your own health, on your own well-being, on your own rest and all those good things as much as anybody else in your family, right? And sometimes that's a different answer because we have different personalities. Some of us like to have the support of a spouse in order to start taking care of ourselves. Some of us just need that awakening. Some of us need another motivation to make that switch. Because if it's not a habit in your life, taking care of yourself, you need to start developing the habit. It's not automatic. So the realization alone isn't all of it. The mindset and realization, oh, I need to take care of myself because I need to be there for others. Then how do I do that? How do I take the first step? Because it's unfamiliar to me. I don't normally take time out for myself. And what needs to happen for me to make this a habit? 
I need my family to support me. I need to ask for help. I need to feel good about it. And I need others to approve of this. Everybody in the family, obviously, not outsiders. And so you need to really not just realize it's important to take care of yourself, but actually figure out how to establish the habit because it's not automatic and it will not happen by itself. And once you establish the habit, then of course it becomes part of your life. But it is crucial because for you to be there for others, you need to take care of yourself. So those are my thoughts. And the problem with not taking care of yourself or loving yourself first is and loving everybody else and making sure everyone else is okay and you let yourself go is that those same people are going to end up looking after you. They're going to be caring for you because you're going to get to a point in your life where your health is falling apart and then you need self-care from other people. So it's really important as well to make sure that you think about that when you're looking to retake your health. I don't want to be a burden on people. And that was one of the big drivers for me was I looked at my wife Mm. sitting on that plane, seat 44G in January the 1st. People have read about it and heard about it in this podcast. And I'm taking up half her seat and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, I don't want to be a burden on this woman. I love her so much. I do not want to die on her. I do not want to be a burden on her. And I do not want her having to look after me because I can't take care of my own health. So those are things that you can use as a driver. But Fanoush, the other thing obviously with self-care is exercise. And I know this is something that you're fantastic at and you love it and you're a big yoga fan. I know that people that follow you on Instagram and the Prolific Living um, will see that you're doing the 100-day handstand challenge. So tell us a bit about that (laughs) and also why exercise is so important in your life. Yes. So, and, and I've done all kinds of exercise before and I, you know, it's funny. I don't even think of yoga as exercise. I think of yoga as like, you know, something that just needs to happen in my life. It's so integral. And I will tell you this, Graham, I never thought I could do my two hour yoga practice in a fasted state and have so much energy, so much focus and just have such a great practice. That has been one of the best benefits of fasting. So for me, movement has always been a part of my life. And I also know that exercise doesn't help you lose weight, by the way, at all. I was doing my yoga before, intense yoga, handstands, strengthening, um, and I was not losing weight. So I don't do it to lose weight. I do it because it helps me feel good. It's something that is a part of me. I I get more confident on my yoga mat and then I can go out there and conquer in my business and help others. Um, it's a journey of learning and growing and failures and successes and exploring the limits of my body and learning to breathe and heal and um, so much more. So for me, yoga is, I don't even think of it as exercise. And I know what you mean. Um, It is um, definitely movement. And I think movement is necessary for us as human beings. And you can find movement in so many, many forms. A lot of people love walking or running or dancing or going to the gym or playing a sport. And that's all really comes down to movement as opposed to being stationary for long periods of time because your muscles need movement. So I think that if you can find a form of movement that you can love 
that you can make yours, that you can enjoy and look forward to, as opposed to something that you feel you have to do, which is never sustainable for long, then you can integrate it into your life and elevate the level of your health. But it has to be something you enjoy. And if it's, you know, something you've been doing and you don't enjoy it, but you still want to keep doing it, think about different ways to do it. For instance, in the past, maybe you were walking and you felt bored. Maybe you can listen to an audiobook when you walk or walk with a friend or walk in, um, in groups with others. But if, you know, there's different ways to get creative about the same activity if in the past it hasn't led to the results you want. But at the end of the day, please get some movement in because your body will thank you. I know when I lost the 100 pounds in eight months, I wasn't doing a lot of exercise. And right. I encourage people to exercise for sure. But for me, I had to learn, one, how to do intermittent fasting. Two, I had to deal with the food issues I had in my life. And I had to change my mindset about the way I ate, what I was eating, how I had to learn more about it. I had to invest some time into doing that, learning right. about nutrition, learning about the hidden sugars in food, all of that. And so for the first eight months, for me, it was important and I just got the weight off. And that was working without a lot of exercise. I know when you go to a doctor or traditional doctors of the past, and they'd look at you and they'd mm -hmm. say, you need to walk more. You need to do more exercise. <laughs> you need to eat right. less. That was their answer. Eat less, move more. And um, yeah. that necessarily has been a failure for on a lot of levels. For some people, yes. that will work for sure. Is there um, resources or tools that people can find if they want to start yoga or some beginner sort of videos or something you can recommend? Absolutely. There is so many resources out there. I mean, we, we there is just no shortage of it. And I think if, you know, again, going back to your goals, why would you even want to do yoga? Maybe you're interested in more flexibility, more strength, but just kind of like having that dialogue with yourself. And then um, what is it you want to get out of it, right? Is it, again, um, a sense of community, for instance? Okay, well, if that's the case, you might want to join a class. If it's um, something you want to maybe de-stress, from a, a hectic work life or that you have, then maybe you want to do a home practice. And the, the, the goals that you have will help you decide the type of yoga to do. There is calming, gentle yoga. There is more Zen styles of yoga, which is, I think, more known. But there is also very strength-focused yoga, which can help you build body strength by using your own weight as opposed to doing weights. And that is for those of us who want to become, for instance, I believe women need upper body strength. As we get older, upper body strength is really important for us. And yoga has definitely helped me do that because I don't enjoy lifting weights. And so think about what you would like to get out of yoga. And then based on that, look on YouTube, look on, look on Instagram. There's a lot of people that are putting online classes, live classes with the pandemic. You could practically join any class anywhere in the world right now where the studio is broadcasting their teachers with Zoom, at least they were when, um, you know, we were at the height of the pandemic, and experiment and try with different teachers and find the style that 
intrigues you more. And depending on how much deeper you want to go, you have, you know, some experience, you you try different classes and you go from there. Um, it's a long conversation. I can definitely get into it, but I want to make sure I don't go into too many details, but there is definitely many, many resources out there. And um, as long as you feel the instructor is teaching in a safe way, then experiment, listen to your body, don't hold your breath, and um, make sure that you enjoy it along the way. The other thing is, I want to talk about empowerment now. And I know you empower a lot of people in your business, um, in your coaching career, and that sort of thing with mindset and business. And when people talk about share without fear, sharing your journey and encouraging others, empowering others. And just how do we empower people to share without fear, Fanoush? Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say on this. I would say prepare yourself to have all kinds of reactions. Even if you do your absolute best, you share your message, your story, your journey with the utmost compassion. There will be people who will criticize it, who will give you the one-star reviews. That's okay. We receive it. We welcome it. And we don't focus on that because the way we empower others is by thinking about one person, one person, that can be affected positively as a result of you sharing. If you can think about that, and that one person can go on to affect a hundred more. So your impact is not just one person, but focus on how you can help one other person with sharing your journey. I think that's worthwhile. When I was writing my books, maybe not the first or the second one, but by the serving mindset, I told myself I would love a small handful of readers who read this book and go out there and change the way they do business because I want to change the way people have sales conversations. I think we can bring a better, more compassion into the sales organizations in corporate. That's my goal. But I was thinking a handful of people, I was not aiming to be New York Times bestseller. Sure, that would be great. But my goal was to empower just a handful of people and to welcome all other criticism, um, reviews, what have you, because that will happen. So we share without fear by thinking about the people who will we can I can guarantee you this. However you share your story, there will be people who will love you for it, who will thank you for it. Focus on them. That is why you are sharing. Don't try to impress or be, you know, pleasing everyone. That is not going to happen. That is not how we serve. We serve by connecting with those who want to hear our message the way we tell it. I will tell my story differently than Graham, than Paige. I also um, am really good friends with Paige, fasting with Paige. And different people resonate with our stories and they will be the people who will go out there, change their lives because we empowered something in them. And so I find when we focus on that, the fear just goes to the background and is not as important as our mission to do our work. And so I like to reframe it that way and also add that it doesn't have to be perfect. If you have this perfect book, podcast, video in your mind, 
Nobody cares about that. They care that you are genuine, that you are clear in how you are articulating the story so they can follow your advice, but they don't care about the fancy things. So you don't need fancy equipment or a publisher or anything like that. We live in a digital world. You can start a platform as small as it may be and share your message. And as long as you're sincere, um, you will be surprised how many lives you will impact. Anusha, I could talk to you all day. I find you very engaging. I think you have such a great insight into everything that people need in this journey. So just quickly before we wrap up, how can people get in contact with you? Um, give us some, you know, where they can find you, that sort of thing, and how they can follow you. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. I enjoy talking to you and I appreciate your work. Um, um, I am active on Instagram. It's mostly yoga, but I do talk about my fasting and uh, my work as well. And that is at Prolific Living. And if you're interested in my work, I am also on my website, farnushbrock.com. And I'm also active on LinkedIn, where I talk about the serving mindset. So it's under my full name, Farnoosh Brock, if you are on LinkedIn. It's a professional platform, but you're more than welcome to connect with me. And I look forward to um, inspiring you. Hopefully this conversation has inspired you. Um, thank you, Graham, for having me on your show. Oh, thank you so much, Farnoosh. I really enjoyed that chat with you. I think your insight into mindset and self-empowerment is very inspiring. And I think we can all take some lessons from what you've just talked about there and apply it to our intermittent fasting journey and life in general. And thank you so much for your time today and I wish you well in your own intermittent fasting journey. So anyway, coming up next week on the podcast, we've got David Williams and David's been an intermittent faster now for around seven months and he's had some staggering results not only with weight loss, but also the non-scale victories and health benefits around intermittent fasting. So don't miss that one. That's David Williams. Uh, thank you to all those people that have been buying my book on Amazon, The Fasting Highway, in both paperback and Kindle. Uh, thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Uh, thank you for all the great reviews, and please, um, that really helps in supporting the podcast as well. Um, so anyway, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.